0: Hello and welcome to this GBM Media Podcast. You're about to hear Serving Today, a program for pastors and church leaders. If you're involved in any form of Bible teaching, be that one to one or in small or larger groups, Serving Today will be relevant for you. Welcome to Serving Today, the program for pastors and church leaders. This is Andrew Cook and I'm pleased to be in your company again. Ephesians, the return of the series. And we have another Name of Christ explained to us by Derek French. Here on Serving Today we're going through the New Testament letter of Paul to the Ephesian believers, or saints as he calls them, in the opening verses of the letter. Ray Tibbs joins us again to help us with the next passage that we're going to focus on this time.
1: We're moving into chapter 5 now, starting from the first verse, which tells us to be imitators of God. Every Christian believer owes their life to God twice over. All that they have and are, and will be, are due to him. This exhortation is made not on the basis of duty, but of necessity. Genuine Christianity is more than the facts of belief forgiveness and rebirth. It involves the continuation, the expression and the proof of all those things. And so in these first two verses, Paul says, imitate God. Follow God's example, therefore, as
0: dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.
1: For anyone to copy God, they must know him first. That can be done through God's revelation of himself in terms which are both understandable and achievable by humanity. That revelation has been perfectly accomplished in Jesus Christ. In him, the qualities of holiness and truthfulness, justice and compassion and much more besides, have all been shown. God has made himself known, and because of the one who has revealed him, he has made it possible for his people to make him known to the rest of the world. And Paul provides us with an illustration here, doesn't he? Yes, children look up to their parents and want to be like them as a matter of natural affection. And it should be the same for the people of God. They should want to be like their heavenly father, knowing his love and care for them. Their imitation is an expression of their admiration, affection and gratitude towards him. So, two key factors are illustrated in the example of Christ. And what are these, Ray? Well, first of all, his holiness towards God in terms of his total separation from the world and an exclusive devotion to his Father's will and word in all his behaviour. Then, his sacrificial love for man. By putting certain aspects of himself aside and using other aspects of himself that would serve them best, his was a costly love. A love for the unlovely. He gave himself to God for men to satisfy God's legal requirements on man's behalf. Imitating God, therefore, involves both these two factors for us holiness towards God and love towards man thanks Ray we're to imitate
0: God then but as often is the case there's also a negative something not to do
1: yes if we are to imitate God we are not to imitate the world verses three through to seven But among you there
0: must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such thing God's wrath comes on those who are
1: disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. The world has some characteristics that should never be found in the church. Some behaviour should not even enter the minds of Christians because it is so alien to them. Therefore, some subjects of conversation are off-limits for believers. Conduct, unbecoming of a Christian, from verses 3 through to 5, shows that those people are not imitators of God and are no different from unbelievers. How can their fate be any different when their conduct appears to be the same? The speech referred to in verses 4 and 6 is totally inappropriate, belonging to a completely different type of person. So, Ray, what makes for appropriate speech or good conversation between believers? Proper speech for a Christian is marked by genuine thanksgiving and includes the easy and eager reference to spiritual matters and the regular and humble acknowledgement of indebtedness to God. People can be deceived when speech deliberately contradicts appearance. Others may be deceived by empty words. But believers should not be deceived. They have discernment. Believers should not be guilty of deception either. Ray, many thanks indeed.
0: Have you ever wondered what are the meanings of the names used for the Lord Jesus Christ? Some of these are used quite frequently in the Bible, while others no more than once. Well, to give us a better understanding of the names of Jesus, we're joined now by Derek French.
2: The name of Christ before us today is one that is exceedingly precious, but which was first used as an insult in a derogatory way. We find it in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus has been speaking to the crowds. He'd been talking to them about John the Baptist and himself, and he comments on the fact that many people rejected both men. This is how Jesus put it in verses 18 and 19. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was simply reporting how many people, including his critics, among the religious elite of the day, reacted to both John and himself. By using these terms, they thought to undermine the ministry of Jesus and John. But by pouring scorn as they did, especially on Jesus, in actual fact, they were giving a wonderfully accurate and precise description of exactly who and why Jesus had come. He had come not for the righteous, including the self-righteous, but for those who were in the greatest of need because of the sinful and corrupt way they lived. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In New Testament days, to be a tax collector was, in the opinion of many, to be the lowest of the low. These men worked for the Romans, whose occupying army controlled the land, so tax collectors were considered as traitors. Also, many of them were corrupt and made themselves rich by overcharging the taxes being demanded and pocketing the rest for themselves, so were considered as corrupt thieves. They were a despised bunch whom the scribes and Pharisees in particular avoided like the plague. They were, in their thinking, beyond redemption, so they didn't lift a finger to help them and despised any who did, including Jesus. The term sinners was widely used for anyone who missed the mark of God's holy standard. They were considered to have failed miserably, made fearful mistakes and acted wickedly. Again, these were people the religious elite despised and rejected and refused to help. An example is their attitude to the man born blind whom Jesus has healed in John chapter 9. As he defended Jesus to the Pharisees, they replied with contempt to him, saying, You were born in utter sin, and will you teach us? And they cast him out. What they failed to admit was that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes everyone, including themselves. All, except Jesus, we have all sinned. And as I said just now, isn't it extremely precious to know that Jesus was the friend of tax collectors and sinners? That he, the holy, sinless, Spotless Son of God, delighted to befriend those whom others passed by and ignored. He came to the guilty, the unworthy, the wretched, and he befriended them. Indeed, he tells us in Luke 19 verse 10, when he had just rescued the tax collector Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is such a lovely statement that shows us the heart of Jesus was full of mercy and grace and love for the unlovely whose lives were tainted and twisted and spoiled by sin. Now, something that's vitally important as we consider Jesus as such a friend is that he was the friend of tax collectors and sinners in order to transform them. He got alongside them to help them to get right with God and to sort their lives out. He told them that they needed to repent, and he did all in his power to help them understand their need to do this. They needed to humbly seek God's forgiveness for their many sins and his grace to change them from within. As Jesus saw them, his heart went out to them. He was full of pity and his heart moved with compassion and he reached out to save them. He nowhere condoned any of their sinful behaviour, but he was always quick to pardon those who sought his mercy. He rescued them from certain destruction and placed them on the narrow way that leads to life eternal. He cared for them like no one else had ever done so. The result was that many loved him very much because he had forgiven them very much. The glorious truth that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners is that he is still the same today as he was in the days of his flesh. He still reaches out in love and mercy to all who truly seek him, delighting to pardon their every sin, however unworthy they are, never turning away or rejecting anyone who truly seeks him. Paul spoke of himself as the chief of sinners, the very worst, yet could also declare that Christ Jesus had come into the world to save such. Jesus did this, of course, through his death on the cross and marvellous resurrection from the tomb. He paid the price of redemption which none of us could pay for ourselves. He laid down his spotless, pure and holy life for his friends and shed his precious blood for their forgiveness. He is not just a friend of sinners, but the very best friend of sinners, and he is the same today as he was yesterday and as he will be tomorrow. What a wonderful saviour is Jesus, my Lord, one hymn says. He is worthy of all our love and devotion as his servants because he has befriended us and he is worthy to be proclaimed to the whole world as the only saviour of sinners. What a lovely saviour Jesus is because he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's not a name to despise but one to cherish and treasure and hold dear all our lives. May he help us to love him with all our hearts and to proclaim him in all our world.
0: Yes, indeed. Thank you to Derek French. And that's all we have time for. We do hope to have your company again next time here on Serving Today. So this is Andrew Cook saying goodbye and may God bless you. Well, thanks for listening to Serving Today, a podcast from the Grace Baptist Mission Radio Team. To get in touch with us, you can send us a message via WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven five. 08932534. That's plus four four seven five zero eight nine three two five three four or email us the address is servingtoday at gbm.org.uk Until next time goodbye